Welcome to Hope Community Church of Hickory. We are so glad you decided to join us online. Make sure and hit the follow and notification buttons to keep up to date with all of our sermons. Here is our latest message. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 63. While you're turning there, you know, the Chicago Cubs have one of the most iconic sports franchises in the world. And they are known for having a very loyal and a very passionate fan base, but they're also the fan base that had been starved of a championship longer than any other. Before the 2016 season, the last time the Chicago Cubs had won a World Series was 1908. This fan base had gone through 108 straight years of disappointment, the longest drought in North American professional sports history. There were 11 different curses that were rumored to be plaguing this ball club during this time. Because even when they seemed to have the best team in baseball, they still couldn't get out of the first round of the playoffs. That is until 2016, whenever the stars seemed to begin to align for the ball club. That year, they finally found themselves getting past the first round of the playoffs, and they made it to the World Series for the first time since 1945. But it didn't get off to a great start. They lost game one by commanding six to nothing to the Cleveland Indians. They were able to take game two, but then they lost games three and four. So now it's a seven-game series, so the Indians just have to win one more, and the series is over. Cubs fans have all but lost hope until they were able to eke out a one-run victory in game five. In game six, they then won handily with a score of nine to three, and now Cubs fans can taste it. Now it's game seven. Winner take all. And the Cubs get off to a quick start, and they're able to hold the lead all the way to the eighth inning. The score is 6-3. to three. That is until the Indians come back and tie the game. And now everyone is on pins and needles as the game ends tied at the end of the ninth inning. Got to go to extra innings. And just to add to the drama, there's then a 17-minute rain delay before they can even play the tenth inning. And then finally, whenever the tenth inning starts, the Cubs, they're able to score two runs in the top of the tenth. So now it's up to their defense to close it out. There's two quick outs. And then the pitcher gives up a walk. Then he gives up a hit that scores a run. Now it's a one-run game. The Cubs make a pitching change. And then strike one. And then the first pitch is strike one. They now only have one out to get. Tying runs on first. Winning run is at the plate. First pitch, strike one. Second pitch, you hear the crack of the bat. The runner on first takes off. The ball's chopped to an awkward part in the infield. They need this out to, to get their first championship in 108 years and see if you can tell by the reaction of the fans outside of Wrigley Field as they watch this play unfold. See if you can tell what happened by their reaction. You see, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that this is the type of enthusiasm that David expects 
Whenever he writes verses like, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Or shout for joy to God all the earth and sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Or my lips shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed. You see, we don't encourage you to clap and to make noise and to give praise out loud in between before or after songs because we're trying to play on some sort of emotionalism. No, it is actually a command in scripture to do so. So if you're just joining us, we're currently walking through a series called Encounter. And in this series, we're breaking down the seven different Hebrew words for praise that we find in the Old Testament. And last week, we talked about the word halal, where we get the word hallelujah. That means to shine, to celebrate, to be foolish before the Lord from time to time. We also talked about the word yada, which means to revere or worship with extended hands, to hold out the hands, or to throw a stone or an arrow. This is directional in intentional, laser-focused praise. And I remember whenever I began my journey of trying to live out and practice these Hebrew words for praise, because they're really not just words. These are commands in Scripture. And I was realizing that I was commanded to praise with some enthusiasm. I was commanded to praise with raised hands, which weren't things that I was used to doing. I was raised in a much more traditional Baptist setting. We, we sang only the old hymns. We read only from the KJV. There's nothing wrong with those things. I'm just trying to give you a picture of the culture that I was used to. Enthusiasm was not something that I regularly saw in a worship service. I don't remember a single time growing up seeing anyone worship with extended hands. If they did, I just didn't notice it. So raising hands during worship wasn't something that I was used to doing or came naturally to me. But I remember getting convicted about this because I'm an emotional person. Now, I, now I'm not a big crier. I don't, not all the tears and all of that. But I'm somebody that gets excited and riled up pretty easily. I've always been a passionate sports fan. Whenever I played, I was a very passionate and enthusiastic athlete. I always wore my emotions on my sleeve. I would get very riled up and excited. Because whenever I believe in something or get passionate about it, I will become the world's greatest spokesperson for a product, person, or team that I believe in. But I had to ask myself, was I showing the same passion for the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life, my salvation in Christ? Was I showing that same passion toward the God of the universe who welcomed me into his family and changed the course of my entire eternity? If it was honest with myself, I wasn't. And I knew that at least a small step that I could take was at least begin the practice of worshiping with extended hands. And I remember the first time I ever raised my hand in a worship service. I was in Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia during a classic Chris Tomlin song. And I just kind of slipped my hand halfway up. And you know how I felt? Awkward. Very awkward. I felt like every single eyeball in that room was staring at me. I felt like people were, were leaning over the balcony, hanging on to see what I was doing. I felt so uncomfortable, but I knew I had to press through that, right? Because I knew that was actually a very selfish and prideful mindset to have, to think that four to 500 people who were there to worship their Savior cared more about something I was doing and focusing on their God. That was incredibly selfish thought to have, but I had it. And I knew I had to break through it and get over myself. I need to start taking steps to show just as much or more passion for God than anything else I would ever be passionate about in this life. And that is the type of passionate worship that we are going to study today. 
This is the Hebrew word shabak. It means to praise publicly, to laud, to address in a loud tone. Do you think those Cubs fans outside of Rickley Field had a little shabak in them? I do. And I think we as Christians need to have a little more shabak in us as well. And David uses the word shabak in this context. In Psalm 63, whenever he writes, beginning in verse 1, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked to you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise, will shabak you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Would you pray with me one more time? We'll get into this a little bit further. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus by the power of your spirit, thanking you for being so good and so present. I pray that you bless these moments as a community as we, as we share gathered around your word. I pray all the distractions and stress of life would cease in this moment as we focus on you and your goodness and your glory and your love. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who we get to be in you. Bless this time. Inhabit the praise of your people. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. And all God's people said, you know, I was at a conference many years back, and the speaker told the story uh, one time about he took his son to one of his speaking engagements with him. And um, during the service, there was like a balcony type thing that off the side that his son sat in during the service. And after his father was done preaching, he, he went up and sat with his son during the closing worship set. And at one point during the songs, his son kind of tagged, uh, tugged on his dad's sleeve. And he said, Dad, I don't know if I want to believe anymore. Son's probably eight or nine years old at this time. And dad was all thrown off. He's like, was it something I said? Like, like he didn't know what was going on. So he said, why, why son, what, what's the matter? He said, well, according to your sermon, Jesus dying for us and saving us is the greatest news of all time. But looking at these people, they don't seem like they care at all. He said, they look miserable. And if they don't care, why should I care? See, it's situations like that where it makes it make sense that we would be commanded in Scripture to have some Shabbat in our praise. In Psalm 117, the Scripture says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, Shabbat him, all you people of the earth. In Psalm 147, David tells his people, Praise the Lord, Shabbat the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. These don't sound like suggestions to me. Do they to you? So according to the definition of the word Shabbat in the Hebrew, we are commanded in Scripture to passionately praise in public. When we gather together to praise our God, it should at least look like to the outside world that we actually believe and care about the one we say we are praising. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be weird about it, okay? <laughs> you know? Will your praise and worship make you feel foolish and look foolish from time to time? Yes, it will. We talked about that with the word halal. But it's not about you. Now, some of you may come out of context like me where there was little to no enthusiasm shown during worship. Others may come out of the complete opposite extreme where worship was a full-on carnival. Now, you had people running the aisles. You had banners and flags being waved. You had shouts. You had screams. You had falling out. And I'm not saying that the traditional non-hand raisers like myself need to completely flip to that extreme. There can be a balance to be found between the two. Now, let me be clear here for a moment. Because there may be some 
who are starting to get a little bit offended. And that is not my intention whatsoever. Okay? There is absolutely nothing wrong with a more traditional style of worship. There's so much value in the old hymns that are so rich in theological truth. What we are talking about right now has absolutely nothing to do with worship style. So that's not the point. The point is the heart in which we worship our God. The great theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones, who didn't even know our contemporary style of worship, he said, a dislike of enthusiasm can be one of the greatest hindrances to revival. I have been in traditional worship services that were full of enthusiastic worship. On the flip side, I have been in the most flashy contemporary worship services you could think of that had no enthusiasm whatsoever. I've also been in worship services where the enthusiasm was so over the top that none of it seemed genuine or authentic at all. So the goal of a message like this is to stir up heartfelt, genuine worship among our body that our holy, perfect, loving Father deserves. Because enthusiasm with no heart, that's just acting. But if you truly have a heart for something, you will be enthusiastic about it. And that will look different for a lot of people. Not everyone shows enthusiasm in the same way. Some people have a very loud, in-your-face personality. Others have more reserved personalities. My wife, Rachel, is one that doesn't show a lot of excitement. After I proposed to her, I did not know if she liked the ring for like two days. <laughs> I couldn't read her face until finally, like after two or three days, she's looking at it. I'm like, oh, she hates it. She hates it. And she says, that's a nice rock. I was like, oh, thank God. Right? <laughs> Some people are just naturally more reserved. But even the reserved ones can still shabak, halal, and yada. I had a friend in college named Paul Scott. He was a very stoic person. Okay? He was a safety on the football team. He was in JROTC. You know, he was just like military man through and through. I'm pretty sure he has a job that we're not allowed, to, not allowed to know what he does right now. But he was a part of our very enthusiastic college ministry. And during the worship, he would normally be standing in the back, just looking like a secret service agent, right? Just kind of scanning, not, just very stoic, not a lot going on. But during the, ser during the service, during the worship, whenever I would see him do this right here, I knew for him that was like he was doing backflips. He might as well have been running the aisles in that moment. So this isn't about forcing anyone to have a personality that they don't have. This is about appreciating who our God is and giving him the praise that he deserves and making sure that our praise and our worship is all about him and not about ourselves. And some of us need to be stretched in this a little bit. Some may need to take a step back. A good way to measure it is this. If you are worried about being seen, you probably need to be stretched a little bit. You probably need to step out in your worship and practice these things that we're talking about a little bit more. If your desire is to be seen, you probably need to walk it back a little bit. Some of us are worried about being more vocal with our praise or raising our hands in worship or stepping out of our comfort zone, and we do not praise God in the manner in which he deserves because we're worried about the thoughts and the opinions that others may have if they see us. And if that's the case, we need to be stretched a bit and get out of our comfort zone. We need to get a little bit louder. We need to be willing to extend our hands and posture ourselves in praise more. I have also had people who come to me and said, you know, man, I really wanted to let out a shout. I really wanted to do, but I just wasn't sure what the vibe was, if I would throw anybody off. In that case, you need to let loose and you need to shout because that's how the Lord is impressing you to praise and worship him. It doesn't matter what anybody else in this room is going to think at that time. Now, others may have a desire to be seen, 
right? We want to be as loud and flamboyant as we possibly can so other people will think we're super spiritual. And that mindset is probably even more blasphemous. We don't want to end up like the Pharisee Jesus rebuked by quoting Isaiah whenever he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. A wise man man once simply said, the heart of the matter is the heart of the matter. Some people may be getting bent out of shape thinking pastors shouldn't tell people how to praise or handle themselves during worship. I'm just telling you what Scripture commands us to, how the Scripture commands us to praise and handle ourselves during worship. However, the actions that we take in our praise are meaningless if we do not have the heart behind it. And Shabbat praise is a result of a heart that is desperate for God. David in Psalm 63, he gives us the reasons why his Shabbat praise is necessary. He shows us where this Shabbat praise comes from. This isn't just an act to perform. This is a response from a heart that is desperate for God. In verse 1, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, David probably uses this symbolism because he finds himself in a pretty desperate situation at this point in time. If your Bible is like mine, right before the psalm, there's normally a little description of the psalm. And mine says that this is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So David is writing this psalm whenever he is in a dry and weary land that has no water. He's in the midst of a very difficult circumstance because at this point in time, his son Absalom had been brewing a conspiracy against him for over four years. And then finally, when Absalom had enough people on his side, they rose up against David and David had to flee Jerusalem as his son divided his kingdom and is now hunting him like King Saul did all those years ago. And David's on the run again wandering in the wilderness with those who are still loyal to him. And throughout this time, he doesn't blame God, but rather he recognizes his need for God. He says in the same way that he and his people thirst for water as they wander in this dry and desolate wilderness, that's the same manner in which his soul thirsts for God in that moment. He said, this isn't a time to fold and feel sorry for myself. This is a time to seek God. He says in verse 2, so I have looked to you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. This is so powerful because he says, I have looked to you, not to fix my problem, not to give me the answers, not to do what I'm asking you to do. No, no, I have looked at you to behold your power and your glory. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life itself, that is why I will passionately praise you in public. Even in the wilderness, even in this wearisome season and dark circumstance. In verse 4, I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. It's interesting here that David doesn't even ask for deliverance or victory. He doesn't really ask for anything in this passage. Towards the end of the chapter, he makes a statement about his enemies, but he doesn't really ask God to do anything to them. Why? Because David probably doesn't even know what to ask for at this point in time. If he asks for victory, that's most likely going to mean the death of his son. If he were asked God to protect his son and give his son victory, that most likely means the death of himself and those who are still loyal to him. He's in a lose-lose situation. If he wins, 
His son's most likely dead. If his son wins, he and those with him are most likely dead. There's no way to win. Even when this rebellion comes to a close, David begs his men to be gentle with Absalom if and when they find them. He says, for my sake, be gentle with him. He doesn't want to see any harm come to his son. And when he gets word that Absalom dies in battle, he mourns. He says he wishes it was himself. So what's David supposed to do in a situation like this? He does the only thing he can think of. He praises. And it's interesting that this word Shabbat actually has another meaning in the Hebrew as well. It has a 1A, 1B type of definition. And the next definition of this word is to pacify, to soothe, or to still. Now, this seems a bit strange at first. Because this seems to be completely contrary to the other definition for the word Shabbat, which is to laud, to address in a loud tone, to passionately praise in public. How do you go from that to pacify, soothe, and still? Well, if you think about it, you normally get loud about one thing in order to quiet another. See, we get loud in our defensiveness to quiet our insecurities. We get loud with our opinions to quiet the opinions of others. If you're like me, you turn the car radio up loud to quiet the rattling noise in the car. You want to pretend it's not there. <laughs> and I think about Fletcher right now. Fletcher has been going through like his worst season of teething so far right now. The 15-month mark, that's been, it's been rough. He's got like four like molars, teeth, teeth, all this stuff coming at the same time. And he'll just be sitting there playing and all of a sudden just like be happy as can be to immediate screaming. And so we have this little pacifier that opens up and we put a frozen grape in it and we let him gnaw on that. And the loudness of the cold helps quiet the pain of the teeth breaking through. This is what the Bible says our Shabbat praise does. It says that praise pacifies the pain. Now, it doesn't completely take the pain away. It does not immediately fix the problem. I don't want to give anyone some sort of hope that if you just lift your hands and praise God, all your feelings, all of the pain, anxiety, all of it just immediately goes away. It doesn't immediately go away, but it does pacify. There's a difference. Just like we need to keep reloading that frozen grape into the pacifier for Fletcher, we need to keep reloading our praise whenever the pain begins to mount up. David says he's looking to God, and his praise is pacifying the pain of his situation because his praise helps him realize that God's power is louder than the problem. And that God's glory is louder than the grief. That God's love is louder than the lies. So whenever my circumstance and my difficulties and the darkness of this world start to scream at me, that's when I need to get loud with my praise that will pacify the pain because it sets my mind on something greater and longer lasting than any trouble this world can ever throw at me. This word Shabbat, it also appears in Psalm 65 in this context of soothing and stilling. Whenever David writes to God and he says, you answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled, who shabbat, the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the turmoil of the situations. It seems that God's power is louder than the roaring seas. So this this Shabbat word, it seems to be almost like a give-and-take relationship with God. We give him loud praise, and he gives us stillness in our soul. We give him passionate praise, and he gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. 
He pacifies the pain. He calms the chaos. And this word picture reminds me of the account in Matthew chapter 8. that says, and when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus was asleep. And they woke him and went to him saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Once again, Jesus' power was much louder than the storm. And I think so often we look at a passage like this, and then we scream to God to calm our surrounding circumstances, to deal with an outside issue, to change another person, to bring a solution, and we go running to God and say, save us, we're perishing. But maybe the, the chaos that needs to be dealt with isn't really what's going on out there, but rather what's going on in here. Because many times we allow what's going on on the outside in the world to affect us way too much on the inside. And the storm that's actually raging is actually raging storm that's in our heart. It's the raging of our soul. It's the storming of our spirit. And that's the storm that God wants to speak to and to calm. So whenever we go to him in praise, we are intentionally setting our minds on him and his power and his glory and how much higher and lifted up and louder he is than anything this world could ever throw at us. And the loudness of his greatness brings great calm to our souls. Now, will it ever storm again? Yes. Will we allow it to affect us again? Absolutely, we will. Will we get caught up asking him for the same old things that we asked him before over and over and over again? Probably. But that's when we need to turn back to praising him, shabaking him, and allowing him to pacify what he needs to pacify in us so we can make it through and love him more. Because we talked about it last week. The storms, the valleys, the hardships, the pain is always coming. It will always be a part of our lives. But the only truly way to have peace and relief in this life, is to praise the only one who has a solution to it all. And he promises to be with us and for us through all the ups and downs of life until he sees us through to the other side where there will be no more pain, no more suffering. He will wipe every tear from every eye and we will get to Shabbat him for all of eternity in perfect unity and harmony with people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the promise of eternity is the great calm that Jesus brings to our souls and to our spirit. Whenever we lose a loved one, the only pacifier we can passively have is the promise that we will see them again in heaven one day. The only soother for the sting of sickness is the promise that this life is but a vapor and we can experience perfect restoration at the end of this broken life. Jesus made all that possible, so we praise him for it. The only thing that can still or calm our souls in the midst of a broken, chaotic world is the promise that Jesus is coming back. And he will set up a new heaven and a new earth where sin will exist no more. And John, he gives us a glimpse into this time in the book of Revelation, 
Whenever he receives a revelation from the Lord, he sees the Father in the throne room of heaven. He does the best he can to describe what he's seeing. And he describes it in this way. He says, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, an appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head, and from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. There's so much symbolism in there. That's a sermon for another time. But I love the fact that he says before the throne, there's a sea of glass like crystal. Because it reminds me so much of the story that we just read when Jesus calmed the storm on the seas. And in the Old Testament, the sea was a symbol of chaos. And what we have to remember is that what we may see as chaotic is nothing but a calm sea of glass before the throne of God. And the only way that that calm and that peace can be passed to us from God is through our praise. When we praise him passionately and genuinely and authentically, not worried about what other people think, but focusing on praising him in the way he deserves, not praising him to get something from him, but praising him for who he is. Because, man, I can't help but imagine the way that those Cubs fans went ballistic whenever their team finally won the World Series. I can't imagine that sort of Shabbat happening every time Jesus makes an appearance in heaven. And every time, whenever we and millions of other people get to Shabbat him for all of eternity and lose our minds every time we see him with the most excitement and anticipation, more than we, greater than we could ever feel in this world and this life. And the fun thing is, is that we get to practice for that type of Shabbat and praise for all of eternity. We get to practice for it right now. So what does your praise need to be louder than? Jaleesa and Jenny, I'm asked if they go ahead and come back up because we're going to close with a time of worship here. For the rest of us, I'm going to ask that all of us just bow our heads and close our eyes in this moment, just for a moment of privacy between you and the Lord. I don't know everybody's story in this room. I don't know what heaviness anyone may have brought in here. But I do know the only true source of peace and comfort and relief in this life is found in the presence of God. So, Father, I pray that our praise would be louder than our problems. I pray the glory we give to you would be louder than the grief. Father, instead of trying to take measures into our own hands, Father, we repent of that and we place all of our issues at your throne. We cast all of our cares upon you right now because you care for us. You are holy, holy, holy. You are high and lifted up. You are high and lifted up above all things. You are high and lifted up above depression. You are high and lifted up above anxiety. You are high and lifted up above sickness. You are high and lifted up above death because you defeated death. You defeated the grave. Thank you so much that we have the promise of eternity. Father, if there's anyone in this room who has not accepted your love in their life, who cannot say with full 100% confidence that if they were to leave this earth today, they would be in your presence in the very next moment, I pray your Holy Spirit would convict that heart right now and bring them into the relationship with the God of eternity who loves us beyond measure. Oh, Father, I pray that instead of panic, we would look to you in praise. Show us 
how to intentionally shabak you whenever the world starts weighing down on our shoulders. Show us when we just need to throw up our hands and just worship you, not beg you to do something, not try to get something out of you, but just worship you for who you are. So, we, so your greatness can pacify everything else in this life. Thank you for hope. Thank you for healing. Thank you for peace. We love you. We love you. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Would you guys stand and worship with us one more time? Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share what you heard this week, make sure and tag at hope underscore HKY on Instagram or Hope Hickory on Facebook. If you want to partner with our ministry, you can give online at hopehickory.org.